Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod, I am Cameron, and we are back to preview Illinois, uh, who comes into this one 16-5, 12-3, and Rod, 5th and Ken Palm, um, 8th in offense, ninth in defense. Um, this is a very formidable component here, uh, or... Uh, and, but I just, I, I gotta get something off my chest before we get into this. I was so angry, um, with what I saw the other day with Illinois. Um, they were up 30, 32 points maybe. And, um, they continued to let, uh, Desunmu stay in the game to get his triple double. Which he only needed one more rebound. This was after the Michigan State game, so I just happened to be watching it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this I was against just, Minnesota, right? Yeah. And and they just they were up by thirty. They were up like thirty thirty two points, and they kept doing it. And then they actually took a timeout, came back out, let him try to get it, and he finally did get it. But I, whatever, it has no bearing on what we're doing here. But I just want well, to vent that, that I was so pissed. I was telling my dad he was here up up from Florida, and I'm like, God damn, I am so pissed at this. Like, if this was this is like a situation where you put Rick Mahorn in and just make him freaking like, you know what I mean? I I hear you. I, you know, it's I, I'm I'm torn on that kind of stuff because I get it. You're talking about a kid with the opportunity to do something that's pretty special, and that's his second of the year, I believe. Yeah, but um, like his other one was like four days before, you know? What right. I mean? So it's I, not like okay. he'd never had a three, uh, like a triple double before. You're you're right. I I can hear that. Um, I think sometimes sometimes our perception of these things can be affected by which side of the fence we're on. If you remember last <laughs> year, okay. and I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I think there's a pretty good argument for what you're talking about, that when it gets that out of hand, come on. Yeah. You know, what yeah. are we doing? But, you know, I go back to last year, uh, the season as it 
turned out the season finale at home against Ohio State where Michigan State was stopping the clock to allow guys to have their send-off moment where they kiss center court and all that stuff. That's and Chris different. Holtman, That's... Chris Holtman got irritated by it. Okay. Um, and then, you know, in the locker room, I think it had been explained to him what the deal is. He apparently was unfamiliar with it. Um, that's different though. That, it is, that's course. different than some, some guy trying to get a one rebound so I, that he can I have a triple don't double. I disagree. You know, I, I think, I think the Michigan State thing is completely justified. And I thought Chris Holton was an ass. Yeah. Until he apologized and then, all right, you let it go. Um, whereas this thing is much, much more questionable. I'm just saying how you see any of this kind of stuff is sometimes Dependent upon which side of the fence. I, I'm with you. It, it's, I didn't watch it. I just, I knew he had the triple double. I didn't see the game. Yeah. Okay. Um, it sounds like it bordered on being classless. I get it. Um, I'm just, you know, I, I, I do, I can imagine what Brad Underwood's response would be though. And it would probably be something along the lines of, look, Part of what we do is we're memory makers, and this was an opportunity for a guy to do something really unprecedented in school history. And I'm not sure of Illinois' um, record book whether they had anybody who had a triple double before. I'm well, not sure. Yeah, he does. I had one like two games before. I know he did, but what I'm saying is maybe it was an opportunity for him to be the only guy with multiple. Okay. Well, like that. I Either don't know. Way, like, I just, I'm not trying, to, I'm not trying to justify it. I like you being angry. So that's okay. I was pissed about it. I, I actually was very pissed about it, Rod. I, I felt like it was very disrespectful. If I was yeah. the other team, I would have called the timeout and I would have well, put some scrubs in there to, to absolutely box him out to make sure he didn't get that last rebound because that's, that's, that's the other thing, right? And that, that, oh, and, it's and you're right about you're right about that. And that this is what always comes up with um particularly in football, running up the score. Yeah. Yeah. Where but the response to it is usually, hey, you don't want to get the score run up on you, don't let them do it. Stop them. Right. You know? And so that would be, you know, that could be a response there as well. I would also say generally speaking. basketball's different. Basketball's different. I mean. Generally speaking, what goes around comes around. Yeah. And when you do stuff like that, you know, it's probably in Brad Underwood's karma that he's going to have an unpleasant moment somewhere along the line where somebody does that to him. I mean, um, could you imagine Aaron Henry? We're out there up 30 points, and Izzo's like, okay, go, Aaron Henry, go get your third assist, you know, to make sure you get How much time 10. was there left in the game? Was, was, does someone there was play like right three minutes. Net? It was three minutes. They're off okay. 32 points. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't think. I don't think you would see. And it this bullshit history. was going on for like two minutes. When yeah, he was trying think, to get it, you know, you could tell that. he was trying to like massively back, like box out people to try to get it. Especially, especially a rebound because a rebound is a lot tougher to get. Right. Um, I, you know, I've got to go back and think about it because I know Denzel had some moments. He'd be the guy who most recently, I think, was in that category where he got close, but I don't remember there being anything like that. Maybe I'm just forgetting, um, you know, where MSU just really dragged it out you yeah. know, to get an opportunity or Draymond Green, you know. Um, but we've had a lot of guys, you know. You've had those two guys and um, Charlie Bell, I know, had one at some point, And then, uh, of course, Magic had several. Um, 
so at MSU, it's 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 a it's a unique thing to for for certain players, but it doesn't happen every year by any means. But it's not as novel as it is in some other places. But hey, I'm, I, you're absolutely you saw it, I didn't, so you're entitled to feel that. Yeah, it, some it, karma coming. It pisses me off. It makes me want to go beat them even worse. Right. Because it it's just it's just goes against everything against my basketball acumen. It, it, right. Why why would you you know put yourself out there and try well, to get the, one the, more rebound against a team that you've clearly beaten thirty points? The best argument against it is kind of what you just said. If you've if you've beaten somebody that thoroughly, then isn't it kind of cheapened right. to just have a guy out there in a blowout just kind of desperately trying to grab that last rebound. Yeah, and, you know, they're, a, and they're like clapping each other on the sidelines like this was some big freaking thing. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Sorry, well, that shit just gets, remember, me, gets my panties in the Let's also remember that the, the Illinois program has been down for a long time now. And, um, you know, maybe they've forgotten what it feels like to be on top. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I think there's is. an argument to that, but they're not. They're they're pretty close to the top this year. I mean, this is you said it. This is a really good team, both ends of the court. I had some doubts about them in November based on some things I've I had seen, and I still think there are some vulnerabilities that at the highest level. If you remember, Baylor kind of pulled away and tore them up pretty good in the second half. Yeah, with yeah. with a small lineup. Now, consequently. You know, since then, Brad Underwood has decided to play a lot smaller, and I think it's it's helped him. They don't do as much of the Georgie Kofi Twin Towers look anymore. I think that was a wise move. But um, you know, this is this is a very good team, and they're a threat clearly in my mind to go to the Final Four. Maybe even if on the right day to win the thing, I wouldn't make them the favorites, but. Um, They've got a shot to compete with anybody. They they definitely have a chance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they definitely blew blew them out of the water. You you know, you look at them: eighth on offense, ninth on defense, seventh in effective field goal percentage, tenth in three point percentage, thirty nine point three percent. I want to stop there. The single biggest reason. In my mind, there's a lot of things you can point to. Illinois is an experienced team now. They've gotten a year older. They also added a couple of very good freshmen, too, who lengthened their bench or their rotation, um, one starting, one a reserve. Um, they're much better as a rebound. You know, there's a lot of things they do better, much better as a defensive team. To me, the biggest change between last year, when they were pretty decent, let's not forget, they were, I think they were 13 and 7 in the league. Yeah. So they yeah. were just outside the, the that tri championship group um that tied at the top. Um last year, despite that success, Illinois was three hundred and tenth in the country in three point shooting as a team. That's three one zero. Yeah. This year they're tenth. That's really to me the single biggest thing that sticks out. This was and has been for Brad Underwood's entire time there a very poor shooting team that suddenly became great. Yeah, yeah, that, that's tough. Um, and you look at two uh, ninetieth in 
three point attempts per field goal attempts. So so they don't take a ton. Yeah. But their efficiency, their efficiency is a big deal yeah. because even if they're not taking a ton, you have to respect it. Mm-hmm. And so that consequently, what that's done is that's made things easier for their guards in terms of penetration. And it's also helped, obviously, their already effective post game be even better. Mm-hmm. So they're able to score in different ways. I think because you've got to take, you got to take account of that ability to shoot, right? Of that threat. And the thing is, they're 19th in two point percentage, right? 19th in the country in two point percentage. Yep. 52, 52nd in offensive rebounding percentage. Um, Good number. Good 50, solid number. Yeah. <laughs> 55th in free throw attempts per, um, per field goal attempts. 69% yep. as a team um, from the stripe, which isn't great, but... Um, Close to being okay. 70% is usually your benchmark, but, you know, it's yeah. not way off that. And 145th in um, turnover percentage. That's the only thing. You know, free throw percentage marginally and then turnover percentage. Those are the only things they don't do really, really well. We talk a lot about teams that have a decent overall number, and then you look at the components of what you're left with is the impression, okay, you can rate pretty highly overall if you just don't do anything badly. Yeah. yeah. Illinois is not that. They do a lot of things really well. Yeah. Uh, and on defense, I mean, nothing to laugh at here. Uh, you know, ninth overall in, in effective field goal percentage in defense. I mean, Okay. 33rd in effective field goal percentage, 19th against twos. Um, yep, and that, it's funny because that's without a huge shot-blocking presence, which in the modern era tends to go hand-in-hand hand with that. If you've got good rim protection, you're probably going to have decent defense against twos. Yeah. Illinois doesn't block a lot of shots. Coburn's really the only guy, and yet they're doing very, very well against twos, which means they're doing it kind of the old-fashioned way. Right, uh, you know, only two hundred and twenty-five in um, block percentage, but number right. sixteen in defense defensive rebounding percentage. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they show, you see how they're doing it. You know, they limit your two-point success and they end possessions with mm-hmm. rebounds. That's a great place to start. You want they are they are so many light years away from where they were when Brad Underwood started there. Yeah. And it was that helter scout. I mean, you just think back to that mess and what <laughs> they are now, and it's just a completely different thing. Now, granted, he's gotten better personnel. It's allowed him to play a little bit differently in part. All that's true. But that, good for him. You know, it showed that because he had been a pressure guy his whole career as a head coach, mm-hmm. and it showed that he was willing to make adjustments. Willing to change. Yeah. Yeah. It's made a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the big guy starters, uh, for them, Io Jasunmu, 6'4 junior, 21.2 points a game, 49 from the floor, 42 from three, 80 from the line, leads the team in assists, 5.3 per game. Uh, his ratio sits about two to one turnover to, uh, assist ratio. Um, but he also gets 6.2 rebounds a game, Rob. Yeah. He's, but well, you mentioned the triple double, right? 
So he's, he's become a total impact guy and he's a pretty decent defender now too. Um, I think for him, the biggest difference has been, you mentioned 42% from three. He's finally gotten that jumper dialed in as a reliable weapon. And that's made him always a tough cover, even tougher still, because he's always been an effective penetrator. Now that you really have to respect him on the three line, that he's a major weapon out there. Yeah. It's, it's very, very tough. He gets to the line a lot. He shoots like, I think he shoots more than five free throw attempts a game. Yeah, 5.2 a game. Yeah. So he's getting there a lot. I mean, look, I don't think he's going to win Big Ten Player of the Year. I think Luca Garza's pretty much got that on lock. But I would say at least eight out of ten years, the season that Io DeSumo was having would win him Big Ten Player of the Year. You know, Um, (laughs) it just happens to be that he's having it in a year when there's Luca Garza who's putting up even more, you know, even crazier numbers. Hmm. Uh, and then you got Trent Fazer, six, six foot senior guard, 10.2 points a game, 42, 39, and 80. Um, tops on the team in steals. And this guy's a player. I mean, yeah, and he too, he's another guy who he's, as he's matured, He's dialed in that jumper. And so now he's more consistently effective with it than he used to be. Yeah. Uh, and it makes a difference, you know. He's also, you know, he was a guy that I think very early, like his freshman year, there was, I certainly had the thought, and I think a, a lot of people did, that, um, you know, he might be the next great Illinois guard. And he's never quite been that, in, in part because Dasunlu came in. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And just sort of eclipsed him. But I, I think that, that Trent Frazier has become a really, really good, solid Big Ten starter on a good high level team. Yeah. And that's not nothing. Yeah, he like studies the ship for sure. Yeah. Uh and then they got Adam Miller, six four freshman, eight point five points a game, thirty seven, thirty four, and sixty eight. Yeah, you know, if you remember early this season when they were still in the non-conference, Adam Miller was shooting ridiculously well. Mm-hmm. He was red hot out of the gates. I mean, he was plus 50% for a while. The numbers he settled into are more what was what I expected because the the question mark on him was can he be reliable enough with the jumper? And early on I was like, "Oh my god, this guy doesn't miss." Yeah. Well, he started to miss some. Still an effective player, still having a nice season. But these numbers you're seeing now are a little more what I think was expected, whereas early on he was looking like maybe freshman of the year mm-hmm. in this conference. Instead, he settled into being a reliable starter who's helped lengthen their rotation, given them another offensive weapon, some size on the wing, but maybe not a superstar just yet. Uh, and then Jacob Grandison, 6'6", junior, um, transferred from Holy Cross, uh, but he's moved in the starting lineup recently. Uh, only about like 12 minutes a game, 3.9 points a game, 2.9 rebounds, uh, 58, 41, and 100% from the line. Yeah, the, the efficiency numbers are good. Um, yeah. He's been starting recently and playing a little bit more, but he doesn't play a huge role in terms of minutes. 
You know, he's a starter by by default, uh, but still, you know, having a decent year for them. Um, and that's, I think, when they when they've made the move to go this way and and maybe go smaller for longer periods of time, it's helped. Yeah, yeah, small ball. I mean, yeah. Um, and then you got Kofi Colburn, <laughs> seven foot sophomore, seventeen point six points a game, ten point three rebounds a game, sixty eight from the floor, fifty nine from the line. Uh, you know, over one and a half blocks a game, and he's averaging six point four free throw attempts a game. So yeah, free tough. free throw shooting is really the only knock. Yeah, um, he was really good last year. He's been better this year. And, you know, I think he's in better shape and he's able to play a little bit more and be a little bit more active. He's physically, you know, this is a league, of course, with tons of great big men once again. I mean, it's just it's remarkable how for two years in a row you've had this level of just night after night after night. And Michigan State has kind of found out how the other half lives because it's the first time in a while that Michigan State didn't really have a guy in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Whereas all these other teams they play, I mean, we just got done with Trace Jackson Davis, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a great season. Well, here comes Kofi Coburn and, and we'll see Liddell and we'll see Dickinson. You know, it just doesn't end. Um, but of all of those guys, the guy who is in a class by himself in terms of his physical presence is Coburn. For as big and as great as Garza is, as Dickinson is, all these guys, Kofi Coburn stands alone physically. As far as just straight up size and strength. Yeah. Just his physical presence, how big he is, how much room he takes up. And when Kofi Coburn gets the ball down low, it's over. You know, somebody like, somebody like Garza, sometimes for as great as he is, he can be bothered a little bit by length at times. Mm-hmm. I think Kofi Coburn is so strong that in certain positions on the court, it's not that you can't stop him at all, but in certain positions on the court, if he gets the ball, it's over. You know, you know that being said, though, we have seen in the past um, Marcus Bingham well, be fairly effective against him. Yeah, we did be very effective. Which is a game at Breslin last year. Weird, but <laughs> that was, yeah, it that really was, was one effective. game, and Kofi Coburn was a freshman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, look, Michigan State absolutely needs to see if Markey, and Markey's been playing decently, so he should get a turn anyway. Mm-hmm. But they need to see if he can bother Coburn, but I, I'm just going to suggest it's a much taller order now than it was last January. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, then uh, coming off the bench, Damani Williams, six three senior. Um, Rod, he's having a spectacular season. Uh, five point one points a game, fifty five, fifty seven, and fifty nine um, from the floor in about twenty five minutes a game. Uh, also grabbing uh, fifty or five point two rebounds a game. Yep, fifty seven percent from three. The only question I've got is why the hell is he not taking more shots? He's yeah. playing 25 minutes a night. He was starting most of the year, and he's not now for Grandison. They decided to go a little bit bigger. I, ironically, they're still playing small ball, but they're a little bit bigger with Grandison. But Williams is still playing a ton. 
that's my only criticism is why doesn't he shoot more? Because yeah, 57 percent is just crazy from three, and that's you got to give this kid. You know, I talked about Illinois' overall improvement, right? So guys like DeSunmu and Frazier, who had struggled with consistency from three in the past, have gone way up. This is a guy beyond anybody because he was a terrible shooter mm-hmm. early in his career. Terrible to become the kind of shooter he is. That is. You know, he's never going to be his dad. His dad was a truly great Big Ten guard, and Demonte is a is a role player. But he has, in his the later stages of his Illini career, he's really found something and yeah. is a key contributor to a very good team. Uh, and then you got Georgie Bashanasvili, six ten junior, only five point nine points a game, two point six rebounds. 59, 60, and 55 um, from the line. Um, yeah, now that, that 60% from three is only on five shots. He's three for five. Yeah. On the air from three, so you don't take it too far. But, you know, his efficiency numbers, other than the free throw line, are pretty good. Mm-hmm. But you just you look back at that freshman season and how much he produced, and I think the last two years have definitely – taken something away from him. But I'll tell you what, he's a hell of an option to have coming off your bench, to have a guy of that quality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Andre uh, Curbelo, 6'1", freshman point guard, 7.4 points a game, um, better than four assists per game at uh, 20 minutes. Um, this is a dangerous guy uh, <laughs> from what I've seen. Um, very dangerous. He's- I think he's the most creative passer in the Big Ten, meaning he makes plays at times that I don't think anybody else in the conference can make. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is because he has that ability, and we've seen this a lot over the years at Michigan State, that Denzel Valentine used to have these problems early on. Cassius, to some extent, had them early on. Guys with that ability sometimes do too much or – they fail to fully recognize that their teammates aren't as advanced in the way they see the game as they are. Mm-hmm. And so it leads to mistakes. Cabello makes a lot of mistakes. A lot of turnovers happen. Yeah. But he's also as dynamic a guy as you can find. The, the knock on him is the 14% shooting from three. That's the only thing right now that he doesn't do well. Yeah. And I suspect that will improve with time. I don't think he's going to be a one-year guy. Uh, I think he'll get better as a shooter, but that's the thing that's standing between him and being a star at this level. Cause he's got everything else. He's got the personality. He's an exceptionally gifted playmaker, you know, all that just needs to get, a, become a better shooter, needs to hone the decision making a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then Coleman Hawkins, 6'10 freshman, um, you know, slight uptick in his role lately, but. He's only averaging six point or six minutes a game, one and a half points a game, a little under a rebound, 38, 27, and 67. Yeah, you know, they they brought him in as another big body. I mean, they don't play him a lot. Um, they think he's got real potential to be kind of a stretch four type. Mm-hmm. Um, for now, he's just a guy. They, look, this is largely an eight-man rotation. The first 
three guys we mentioned off the bench are all going to play a lot and they're all going to be key parts of this team. Yeah. When you get to Hawkins, that's in the hold the fort down for five minutes kind of territory. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the keys, Rod, uh, limit the threes. Um, Michigan State's think- been pretty good with that, <laughs> but more so against, against this team, man, maybe. I went back, and I did this on Spartan Mag yesterday, and and looked at every game um, since the the Rutgers game. So I didn't include the Rutgers game after the layoff because, let's be honest, that was a – you write that off. Michigan State looked like exactly what they were, a team that had practiced twice in 20 days. Right. Um, since then, Michigan State, I believe – there are, out of seven games, there are five, if I remember correctly, where they held opponents under their seasonal average in three-point attempts. And only one game out of the seven where their opponent shot a better percentage than they have on the season. Mm-hmm. Guess which one that was. It was the one game out of that whole batch where they were just uncompetitive, the Iowa game. I even count the Ohio State game as a game Michigan State was in because with three minutes to play, they were down 10. They ended up losing by 17, but they were, they were in that one. Um, so this is something, and you can actually go back further. If you go back before the layoff and look at that Rutgers win and even the, um, the loss to Purdue. They also did it very well in those games. Yeah. So those were teams that came in very hot from three, and it was a big part of their success, and Michigan State shut them down. So I would say this. It is not sufficient for Michigan State to get a win to limit three-point shooting. Um, if that's all they do, that doesn't mean they're going to win because obviously they haven't won all these games where they've been doing that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's – it's necessary. I don't think they can be competitive unless they do that. That's just, to me, that's become a bottom line on this team. Mm-hmm. And it's in part because it's something they're capable of doing. I don't think, no matter what they do, I don't think they're capable of really shutting down some of these low post games. Yeah. yeah. You know, they still have the personnel for it. You don't have a Xavier Tillman. You don't have a team that's playing great help defense. You certainly can't afford to double people. Um, you know, the digging down into the post isn't great from the perimeter guys. So what you can do is you can play post players straight up and just decide that you're going to do everything you can to limit threes. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've done, and it's worked well, and I think it's made them competitive when they've done it, six out of seven games, this would be another one. I think the only hope to being in this and having any kind of chance at an upset is to limit where Illinois does from three. Now, they're not a big three-point shooting team, as we discussed. They take, I think, 19 a game on average. I'd like to see Michigan State hold that number below 19. If they can hold them to 18, 17, 16, that would be great. And if they do, I suspect that the Illini are not going to shoot their normal percentage. Mm-hmm. That's what this season is telling me. Three point percentage against is a, we go over this all the time. Analytic types will tell you that is a more of a luck number. Yeah. And I agree with that 
except when you see it over and over and over and over from a team, it tells me that there's at least something there that is attributable to what Michigan State does. I believe that. Yeah. We've got enough data. So, and, and, and again, put the data together with what I'm seeing. I'm not seeing teams getting a lot of great looks. Right. The looks yeah. that are taken are usually contested. So it's got to start there for MSU. You got to take, if, if the Sun Moo and Williams and Frazier are going wild from three, it's going to be a long night. Yeah. All right. So number two key, get the ball to the rim. Um, <laughs> man. And we saw that a little bit in the last game. We saw Henry in the lane a lot. More than a little bit. Yeah. I did another statistical dig. In Michigan State's entire Big Ten schedule so far, so they've played 14 games. Uh-huh. They have had more than half their points come in the paint twice. First time was against Penn State. It was 34 of 60. And then they had 40 points in the paint against Indiana. Well, Not coincidentally, those are both, both wins. wins. Yeah. Um, we've been talking about it for weeks. Yep. We finally saw it in a major way because as opposed to the Penn State game, what we saw in this one was not only that they were scoring so effectively inside, but it was creating great looks from three that they cashed in on. They also shot better than 41% from three mm-hmm. the team. So it's going to pay dividends in a couple of different ways. You're going to get that production inside, which is more reliable if you can get it. And then it's also as a tangent, something flowing from that should get you better looks from deep. Yeah. And this team needs that too. They got to shoot better from three as we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, it's, it's critical. Absolutely critical. And that it's going to be a tall task. It won't always been very good defending twos this year. But there's no alternative. If you want to compete in this game, I think you've got to find a way to do it. Yeah. And by the way, I don't think Illinois has a great individual defensive matchup for Aaron Henry. I no. don't think anybody does, really. No. But they don't. They really so don't. So should Aaron yeah. Henry be able to do similar things if he's if he puts his mind to it and he's and he's competing the way he did against Indiana? Yeah, he can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then third key, turnovers. It's become, I think, officially a problem again for Michigan State. For a while, we're saying, well, they're not playing well, but they're not turning the ball over as much as they used to. Well, that's kind of gone out the window. Thankfully, they pulled it together in time against Indiana after a horrific start. Um, Illinois is not a great turnover team either. It's really the only thing offensively they don't do well, that free throw percentage. Uh, but you can't have a gap in this game. Yeah. I mean, this is a game where you're coming in and you are, we, we've just gone through the numbers, right? You're outgunned if you're Michigan State. So when you're in that kind of situation, one thing you can't do is allow them more chances to score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, brings us to the fourth point, three points. Um, good job last game, 41%. Yep. Uh, and they need to do it again. And, and, and again, I think it's going to flow in part from better interior scoring. If you get that done, if you get Aaron Henry in the lane a lot, you maybe get some post up play from somebody. Um, 
that's going to force Illinois. It, what it does is it, it forces the defense to change its shape. Mm-hmm. And it's going to result almost for certain. It's going to result in your, your guys standing on the arc. So like Gabe Brown, but other guys too, Josh Langford, Rocket Watts, they are going to be open for a beat longer. Yeah. And that could be enough. That could be enough to make the difference. Yeah. I don't see how, for as much as I think MSU's got to be very productive inside, this is another game where it's hard to imagine MSU springing an upset if they're shooting miserably from deep. I think they have to be dialed in. They don't have to hit like a ton of them. They don't have to be, you know, they may have 13 makes from three or something, but they got to be efficient. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Vitke, uh, Hauser, and Hall. Um, it's no surprise. These guys have not been showing up lately. The, the perimeter has been showing up. These guys have not been showing up. And we need a big game out of them. Well, you know, I, I, I had a lot of interesting discussion on the Spartan Mag board in the aftermath of the Indiana game because I think there's a there's a segment of the fan base that is so discombobulated by what's gone on this year and just so desperate for anything solid yeah, yeah. that there was a lot of talk about, hey, they finally found this lineup that works. Going small with Henry at the four and then Brown and Langford on the wings and Watts at the point and then whomever at the five. You know, Kithier, Bingham, whoever, Sissoko. Um, I'm not convinced of that. I'd love for that to be the case, but I'm not convinced of it. And, and I think, especially as they get into these stretch games, I mean, look at Illinois. Illinois, one thing that's clearly the case is they've been a very good rebounding team this year. So am I to believe that Michigan State's best chance of success is to sit the two guys who are arguably your two best rebounders in Hauser and Hall? Hall played yeah. three minutes in that Indiana game, and he, and he got off to a terrible start of the game. He was terrible early. They didn't play again. I don't have a beef with that, but they got to find a way to get him back on track, and the same for Joey Hauser. Yeah. This team can't close – the way that everybody wants them to if those guys are playing bit part roles, in my opinion. They need to fight. It doesn't mean they've got to be the dominant player game in, game out, but they've got to get those guys going again because for the yeah. last three games, really since that Penn State win, those two have been MIA. Yeah. I mean, Joey, the one thing Joey did, he had, he hit a, like three triples against Purdue, and then he has that last three minutes where he just melted down entirely. Yeah. You know? Other than that, between those two guys, they've given MSU nothing. Yeah. And that can't continue. Not if they're going to compete. They've got to find something there. So I'm all for the small ball lineup at times, but this idea that it's going to become the dominant look, I'm not buying it. Uh, you know, for my money, Rod, the best lineup that they have, and I don't know, it doesn't necessarily you know, need to be opening up or, or starting or whatever, but the best lineup who I want in there to win games is Henry, Langford, Watts on the perimeter, Hauser, and Kethier. That's what well, I think is the best is the best five guys out there. When they're playing well, I'm I would agree. That's but I I might disagree, you know, when when he's playing well you might be able to make a good argument for Marky over Kithier. 
but but that's splitting hairs. Kith mm-hmm. here is certainly more consistent. That's at, that's at winning time. At winning yeah. time, that's what I want. Right, right, right. So you need to get stops and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I I would probably agree with you, except that <laughs> this has been the problem all year long for Michigan State. It's a moving target. So yes. You can never yes. get a bunch of guys all playing well at the same time. So right now, if you're a Michigan State fan, you're probably thinking, well, Henry and Langford have been reliable. So I, I exempt them from this stuff. Those two guys are showing up for the most part. Yeah. Right? But right now you're thinking, okay, Gabe Brown's got it going. Rocket Watts probably played his best game in weeks. Um, and they got good basketball out of Marcus Bingham. And Hauser and Hall didn't do anything. So those guys don't factor in, right? But the problem with this team is next next game, meaning Tuesday night, what's the likelihood that that continues? Is it more likely maybe Joey Hauser finds himself, but, you know, Gabe Brown goes one for eight. (laughs) Three. I mean, that's been this season in a nutshell, and it's one of the reasons why I've I've said this. I said this the other night after the – after the uh, Purdue loss, said, you know, if you think that lineups and minute allocations are what's standing between this team being competitive and not, you're kidding yourself. (laughs) And that's what I mean. There's been no consistency from anyone absent Henry and Langford. And those guys Mm -hmm. are playing heavy minutes, as they should. But everybody else, hey, I, I want it desperately. I want to believe that this is Gabe Brown and this is who he's going to be the rest of the way. And I actually think that's really important for him and for MSU next year that he finds some consistency and play at the level we saw the other day, game in, game out. But have I seen enough to have faith that that's going to happen? No. You know, so I the, just – The one thing I did see, Rod, though, is I saw uh, Marcus Bingham be very effective against Kofi Coburn last year. And I don't oh, know if that game, equates to this year, but that look, shit worked last year. He could, and and Marcus Bingham did enough in the IU game that he absolutely should get a turn. Mm-hmm. And right now, I would look at it and say, okay, this revolving door they have at the five, your starter at the five probably should be Marcus Bingham because you start Kithier against Coburn. That's you know, it's a tough spot to put Thomas in, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so sure. that wouldn't bother me at all. And I think Marquis earned it. I, I said yeah. this today in the discussion on the boards about, you know, the, the four guys at the five spot going forward. What does that likely look like next year? I would say Tom, of those four guys, Thomas Kithier is the one who you can have the most faith in in terms of what you're going to get out of him, but he's also got limitations. Yeah. Marcus Bingham this year has done more. He has had the best year of his career. Now yeah. that's yeah, not he saying has. much. He has. But he yeah. has. And he's shown enough growth, especially the last, say, four weeks, not game in, game out, but enough over that period, and yet has also the most potential going forward that, you know, I can't rule out. I'm not saying I'm convinced he's going to find it next season, but I think there's a chance based on what he's shown. Mm-hmm. So, to me, it's a no-brainer. You give him the opportunity to start against yeah. Coburn, or at least to play heavy, heavy minutes. Because he's proven it. What happens? He has proven it. He's proven he can he can he can handle that guy. Um, well, no, 
he did it once. He did it once, which is a, but that's which proving is an indication. It. Keep in mind, the second game against Illinois, he didn't do anything. That was the game that Tillman won on the um, putback dunk yeah, at the yeah, buzzer. Yeah. He wasn't a factor in that game. So it's not like, well, we could say Marcus Bingham officially owns Kofi Kofi. He had one <laughs> okay, really yeah. good game against him. Okay. Um, That's fair. That's fair. But this is, I'm talking more, not just this game, I'm talking more the rest of the way. Right. And it, and it goes to any talk about lineups and minutes. I think what Tom Izzo's been presented with for a variety of reasons, which we've kind of talked to death, is he's got to ride the waves in each and every game. Mm. So early on in that first 10 minutes, he's got to figure out who's got it tonight, who doesn't. He did a pretty good job of that against Indiana Mm -hmm. because he figured out, okay, Marble isn't guarding anybody, and he's hacking people, and he's not. it's it's not worthwhile. And then Kithier got inserted into the game, and it started to turn around. Hall didn't have it, clearly. Played the first three minutes, never saw the court again. Hauser saw his role more limited. He got more turns, but I think Joey only played 13 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, so he found out, okay, Gabe Brown has it going. He played whatever it was, close to 30. You know, Rocket, A.J. Hogarth did not have it. Rocket Watts was much better. Rocket Watts played. That's what you're faced with because there's no guarantee that any of that carries over to Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Not with what this team has shown this year. You can count on two guys, in my opinion. You can figure you're going to get some semblance of the same Aaron Henry and the same Josh Langford you've gotten for most of the year. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be as good as they were in Bloomington, where they were both great, but they're going to be your most effective players and the guys you can count on to do certain things. Yeah. Yeah. That much you can have faith in and nothing else. I'd love for some guys to step forward and prove me wrong over these last six games and develop a consistency, a, a pattern of performance, but we haven't seen it yet. Mm. So I can't expect, and this is why I think, that, oh, we found the lineup. Really? Because you've got 30 <laughs> minutes of good basketball? We've got, that's not very much to go on with this group. Right. All right, Rod, so we got 7 o'clock Tuesday, FS1. Number five ranked Illinois versus Michigan State at home. Uh, how you feeling? It, final words on this one. Uh, you know, it's a huge opportunity, really. Though I mean, it is, it is. But we also said that about Iowa Breslin, and they completely laid an egg. Now yeah. I don't think they're going to repeat. I don't think they're going to repeat the strategic mistakes that they had in that game, um, but. You know, Illinois is also a team that, as opposed to Iowa, where Iowa comes in and you know they do certain things exceptionally well, but other things they do very poorly, like defend. Um, Illinois doesn't have those weaknesses. There aren't a lot of weaknesses with Illinois. So I think it's, I think you have to be, if you're Michigan State, you have to be playing, we're used to being on the other end of this equation. You have to be (laughs) playing very well, and you have to hope that Illinois is maybe bringing it C-plus game. Yeah. You know, if that happens, and it could, then you got a shot. And, Illinois and look, look really good. Yeah, they have, and, they, and they've been good most of the season. And the numbers are, the numbers don't lie. They are an example of a team when you watch them and you think, wow, this is an impressive group. They can do a lot of different things very well. And then you look at the numbers and it supports all of that. It's, you know, 
it's hard to argue with. Mm-hmm. But do I think Michigan State's got a chance? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, for one, the Sun Moo is not going to get anywhere near what he used to get on the perimeter for somebody like uh, Henry or even Rocket. Well, that, that, and that's going to be an interesting thing. You know, again, another conversation I had with this small ball lineup. My concern is if you play Aaron at the four, then you don't have him guarding DeSunmu. Now, there are others who would argue, well, they probably shouldn't have him guarding DeSunmu anyway because they can't afford to be in foul trouble, and he's too important to Michigan State's offense. That might be the way Michigan State goes. They've done that before. If you remember last season, there were games where X would not be guarding like Garza or Coburn to start. He would eventually get there, but they wouldn't put him on those guys early. Yeah. I could see that here, but, um, I would say this. If Michigan State's in the game and you get to like the last 10 minutes, Aaron Henry is going to be guarding to some move. He damn well better be. Yeah. Because uh, he's the only guy. I've been a big booster of Josh Langford defensively since the layoff. I think he's been really good, really good. But I don't think Josh is built to handle um, Dasunmu. I, I think he would struggle with Dasunmu's strength and athleticism and penetration. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rocket is up to that, even though Rocket's been a lot better. Uh, Gabe is not ready for it. There's one guy that I would say, all right, this this guy can at least make things more difficult. Mm-hmm. He's not going to stop him, but he can make things more difficult. That's Aaron Henry. But you do acknowledge that you run the risk of foul trouble. Yeah, yeah. So it's a tough situation. But that's the thing. Illinois has got these weapons that, boy, they don't leave you with a lot of good choices. Well, I mean, you know, for my money, it's it's – whether it's Indiana or Purdue or <laughs> Iowa, at least we're not conceding 30 points in the paint. Probably, <laughs> I would think. You know what I mean? Um, well, they might. I mean, this is a game where, um, you know, you might you might see Coburn get 30. I would say that's a good sign, actually. I mean, I feel like maybe Bingham, you know, or Kithier or something – well, you got you got a lot of in this one. Well, they, um, I mean, goddamn, they should be able to hold him under thirty for crying out loud. Well, I'll tell you, but I'll but I'll tell you why I don't care. Look at what Trace Jackson Davis went for thirty four. That's about fourteen or fifteen more than he averages. Did Indiana win? No, 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 because because it meant that Michigan State stayed home on the other guys, stayed home yeah. on their shooters. Now, if Colburn's going off and DeSunmu is living in the lane, then you got problems. But I, I really do think the way you give yourself a chance, the way you can be competitive, the numbers tell a story, is if you limit their shooters. Yeah. We have seen Michigan State be competitive in games where opposing post players have gone off. That is not the bellwether for Michigan State being being in a game or not. The bellwether is three-point shooting. Mm-hmm. So I don't care if Kofi Coburn scores 30. I really yeah. don't. But I think I, – I mean, I think there's less chance of Kofi Coburn scoring 30 than Garza or Williams or 
Jake, well, he's not you know, as good. He's Jackson not as, Davis. He's not quite as good a scorer. He's not quite as good a scorer. I would agree with that. So if you but can hold the I perimeter think, down like you did in those games, and then keep him to seventeen or eighteen, you think this is a win? <laughs> well, that would be a great addition. Then you'd then you'd really be in business if you do that. But you know, I think part of what happens is in these games, this is not as versatile a Michigan State defensive team as we're used to seeing. We are used to seeing teams where perimeter guys could could both limit a three-point shooter and dig down and help on post players and disrupt them. Yeah. This team can't do that, and that's why they're not even trying very much. Mm-hmm. You know, So they what that means is those post players are getting an easier opportunity, mm-hmm. and they're not going up against a Xavier Tillman. You know, yeah. Michigan yeah. State does not have that defender in there. So... That's why you're seeing these guys putting up big numbers. But, you know, I'll give you an example, though, where it played out that way. That first Iowa game in Iowa City, Michigan State really held their three-point shooting down, and Garza had a good game, but it was an average game for him. He scored 27, and he averaged yeah. 26 at the time. So if you're saying, what's Coburn scoring, like 18 a game, something like that? Yeah, 19, I think. Yeah. Okay, so if he scores 20, and Michigan State holds the three-point shooting down, then they're really going to have a chance to be in it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and maybe win one. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is it's kind of a good matchup for Michigan State, even though they're fifth in the country, you know. Boy, <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, don't buy that they're fifth in the country. Me. I don't buy I, that. Only because but, I, I look at this Illinois team – and as opposed to a lot, look, we we can look at the top of the Big Ten standings, um, not the very top. Michigan's a different story right now, but mm-hmm. Ohio State, great offensive team, fantastic offensive team, but a pretty bad defensive group right now. I mean, they're they're the third worst defense in the conference. Yeah. Iowa, same deal, brilliant offensive team, bad defensive team. So, you know, those are teams I look at and I think, okay, there's a weakness here. There's an opportunity if you do enough of these things well. Mm-hmm. Illinois, to me, presents so much balance in what they do that absent them, I mean, there are scenarios. I, and as I said, if Michigan State is really dialed in, brings its A game, and Illinois comes out and just kind of plays a C-plus kind of effort, absolutely Michigan State can win it. And that's not asking for a miracle. Yeah. Those things happen. You know, we've seen brilliant Michigan State teams lose to very mediocre opponents. To non, I, I don't need to go back any further than a couple of years ago, where Michigan State, a Final Four team, lost twice to an Indiana team that didn't make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Okay? So it can happen. But it takes some things. Those two games that Michigan State played against Indiana, Indiana played very well. And Michigan State kind of gave C plushes sort of efforts. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to take. I, I, I mean, obviously you've got your own opinion. It's as valid as mine. From my perspective, I don't see Illinois as a good matchup for anybody. <laughs> I think they present difficulties for every team in the country. Yeah, because they just don't have a, an obvious weakness. Yeah. Well, okay, fair enough. Uh, Right, I'm fired up for this one. 
After the, you seem uh, to the be. game, yeah, this is after as the game, as I've heard you all season. I said the, the <laughs> after the last game, I'm like, all right, if we can get this one, maybe we're rolling here. Oh, so I'm fired for, up. For sure. Look, if, if Michigan State manages to come out of this one with a win, I'm telling you, the narrative will officially shift on a dime to is Tom Izzo going to Izzo his way through this again? Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. will change dramatically. Yeah. If they get a win here. And, and it, and for good reason, because it would put them at what they'd be six and nine in the league. So they'd still have work to do for sure, but it would finally be a high, high, high level win that nobody could question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that would be a big deal. And then you're saying, okay, if you can take care of Maryland on the road and you can get Indiana again at home, maybe you only need to get one of the Ohio State game and the two Michigan games to have a shot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a tall order. I mean, I don't know if, you know, I'm sure some of our listeners at least watch Michigan and Ohio State today. I mean, uh, believe me, it's not anything I want to be saying, but right now Michigan is playing exceptionally good basketball. You know, and Ohio State's pretty good too, but Ohio State, the, the difference was they couldn't get any stops. And their margin for error was so slim that when they actually did commit a couple of errors on offense late in the game, that was enough. Hmm. Michigan just punishes you. So anyway, I didn't watch it. So we'll see. But uh, you know, those are those are going to be tall order games for MSU. But I'd love Michigan State to have the shot. Yep. Yep. I'm I'm stuck. I'm stoked for this game. So. Tuesday. I hope you're, I hope you're on to something. FS1. I mean, if they can get this one, now we're rolling. Now we're rolling, baby. Well, until then, um, we'll catch you with the the post game of that one and the final four is not on schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. <laughs>